Okay, you guys got your keychains from last week. If you weren't with us last week and you didn't get a keychain, you want one. I still got some in the back there. But uh, you remember those, right? We, we talked about the, the Lego brick. And we kind of talked about last week that, that nobody buys a singular Lego brick and says, well, that's all I want. It's just one. And, and we talked about how nobody's inviting somebody over saying, hey, come play with my, my Lego that I have. My one Lego that I have. And, and nobody also buys a bunch of Legos just to let them be next to each other, but not connected to each other. People buy Legos to, to build things like this. This is a, a Bugatti that's functional, that's all made out of Legos. Um, so that's insane. That's crazy. We used to go to Legoland in California. We had passes there, and we would go, and, and they had at one point a, like a Ferrari that was built entirely out of Legos. Uh, pretty amazing what people can do with Legos when they're using Legos the way that they're intended to be used, right? And at Compass, what we like to talk about here, when we talk about our kind of our pyramid of membership, is it's not just attending, right? Attending is like being the, the solitary Lego, or maybe it's like being the Lego that's next to a bunch of other Legos. Did you guys know, by the way, there's no such thing as Legos? It, Lego is both singular and plural. There you go. Take that one home with you. It's not Legos. Legos is not, it's, it's not a word. But maybe there's, there's attending is like you're there and there's other Lego pieces next to you, but, but we're not connecting. So attending is good and it's foundational, but we want to take that next step to then start connecting to each other. And, and that's really what we're here to talk about tonight because connecting is part of realizing God's purpose for our identity as believers. The creator of Lego said this. He said, the Lego brick is our most important product. I didn't know they made other things beyond that, so I looked up the history. They started by making like wooden ducks that people would pull on the string. That was how Lego started. But he said, the Lego brick is our most important product. The brick in its present form was launched in 1958. The interlocking principle, notice that's the design of the brick. It's meant to interlock with other bricks. The interlocking principle with its tubes makes it unique and offers unlimited building possibilities. It's just a matter of getting the imagination going. In other words, the, the inventor of Lego didn't invent Lego to just sit by itself and not connect to other Lego. In fact, if that's all you're doing with it, the inventor of Lego would come here and say tonight, you're doing it wrong, right? Christians, God did not create and redeem and recreate you as a new creation in Christ in order for you to just come and be next to other Christians without ever connecting to them. God caused you to be born again in order that he might take you and make you part of what he's building. And he's building that and realizing that visibly here on earth through the local church. So that's why connecting is such an important part of our identity as Christians. Take your Bibles, if you will, and flip over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This is going to be another one of those topogetical sermons. What I mean by that? So we're not taking one text the whole time for all three points, but I, I hope to go from the text and exegete to the point, okay? So that's why it's topical and exegetical, topogetical. We're following? Okay. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27, and we're going to read down through chapter 2, verse 4. It's going to be up on the screen, just like last week, but I wanted you to turn there first. Okay, it says this, Paul writing. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. This text may be familiar to you if you've been around the church for any period of time. You've probably read the book of Philippians and you've read these words before. But here's what I want us to notice tonight. I want us to notice tonight this connection between how we interact with one another and our relationship to the gospel. In other words, our relationship to what Paul says here that we should be doing as Christians, and that is to live in such a way that our manner of life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. We might think of that from an individualized perspective, right? We want to live godly lives. We want to live sanctified lives. We want to live holy lives and in Christ. We want to live devoted lives. We want to read the Bible on our own. We want to pray on our own. We want to to make sure that, that maybe it's even just within the context of our family, that our families are strong, godly units here. But I want us to see that it's, it's broader than that. That to live in a manner worthy of the gospel involves living together. Live involves not just attending, but then connecting too. Because the gospel inevitably produces that for us and in us. In 127 through 30 that, that we just read, the first part of it, Paul is, is calling on these Christians who are up against some difficult times to, hey, stand united together. Hey, have a, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm in one mind, in one spirit. You're going to have opponents that are going to come in, in church. It's going to be important that you all are c- connected together to be able to withstand the opposition, right? That's what he's calling them to right there in the, in the beginning, in that first part. And that's part of what it means to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That you have a place on the wall, so to speak. You are with your brothers and sisters in Christ with a united front against the attacks of the world that are going to come against the church. That's the first part of it. But then, notice in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, the second part that we read in that, Paul begins to exhort them to love one another well. How, and, and what's that connected again to? Living in a manner worthy of the gospel. That now we should live in such a way as, as we're considering others more significant than ourselves. We need to live in such a way that's worthy of the gospel to not only think of my own interests, but think of the interests of others. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor PJ, you stopped short of where the, the ultimate climax of all of this is. And you're, you're right, I did, but here it is for you. Paul says, you, you want to know the paradigm for what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's to follow Jesus' example in the gospel. He says this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself. He set aside some of his divine prerogatives. He veiled the fullness of his glory by taking on humanity and adding that to himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What does it look like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? It, it's, it's that. Have that mind amongst yourselves. Y'all, you can't love yourself that way. The only way that love is realized is through loving other people and living in community with other people and living connected to other people. And that's realized first and foremost for us in the church. Y'all, this isn't a Sunday-only Christianity that Paul's talking about here. This isn't a siloed Christian that thinks pastor podcast and bishop books is all he needs to be able to grow. This is a Christianity that realizes, man, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel is to allow that gospel impact in my life to bleed out through how I treat other people. It's recognizing that, that what Christ has done for me, now I want to live that way amongst other people. And that, again, is most tangibly realized within the body of Christ. That's why we have to move from attending to connecting. Point number one tonight is this. Desire gospel-induced community. Desire that, right? Long for that. I mean, I want to be a part of a, a church like that. I pray that Compass is going to be a church like that. Where we are, are looking out for one another. Where we love each other where we're thinking about other people, we're not just spending all of our time thinking about ourselves, but we're thinking about, man, how can I bless somebody else in the room? How can I encourage somebody else at church? The concept in 127, I've mentioned it a few times already, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. The, the idea contained therein in the Greek was be a gospel citizen. Paul's writing to a Roman province here, and citizenship was a massive issue for the Romans. To be a Roman citizen was to hold a, a, a high status. So he's writing to them saying, there's a better citizenship for you. Y'all, there's a better citizenship than American citizenship for you. It's to be a citizen of the gospel. It's to live in such a way that people look at you and go, you belong to Jesus. We moved out, my wife and I did, not long ago from California, right? And now I, I preface all of my conversations with people out here saying, look, I was from Texas. I moved away. Wilderness wandering years in California, and now I'm back. I came back to the promised land, so I'm back home, right? But even still, man, California, they, it, it got me a little bit. And, and we, we moved here, and my wife and I were talking about, okay, we got to get our license plate changed, did that, right? And then we're like, man, we got to get our, our new driver's licenses. You can't get an appointment until October. Did you guys know that? It's got to be like January at this point. So it's, it's such a long waiting list. So I'm going in October to get it. So Albert, don't pull me over, man, because my, my license plate or my driver's license is, is still California. But you can do those things, but then sometimes my California still shows. That's how my wife and I talk about it. We're like, hey, your California is showing. We went for a walk the other day, and it had stormed like crazy the night before, and we're out, and my neighbors had their sprinkler on. I'm like, man, I can't believe they're watering their lawn after it rained last night. She was like, your California is showing, Right? There's things about us that can leak out that, that reveal kind of who we are and where we're from. Y'all, make sure your gospel shows. Make sure your Jesus shows when you're around other people. That they know that you belong to Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. Living in such a way that it's evident in how we live together in community that people look at us and go, they belong to Jesus. When the church does this well, Y'all, the, the world takes notice. 
When the, when the world looks at a group of people in a room together worshiping Jesus passionately and serving each other and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, the world stops and goes, why? Right? Because they want that. It's inherent within all of us as, as those created in the image of God to desire community. And even through the brokenness of fallen mankind, there's still a longing to belong to something, to belong to a family, to belong to something bigger than ourselves. And, and the world will chase that in organizations and philanthropy and, and clubs and social networks and everything else. But nothing does it like the church does it. Because when the world looks and says, what could unite so many people from different backgrounds, different countries, different upbringings, different home circumstances, right? Different preferences when it comes to food and different preferences when it comes to style and even, dare I say, sometimes different political preferences even. What in the world could cause so many people from such varied backgrounds to come together and love each other that way? The answer is the gospel. It's Jesus. It's because we realize what Christ has done for us and that causes us now to want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Which means that we're not just satisfied being Legos sitting next to, one, to other Legos at church. We want to connect together. We want to build into each other's lives. The gospel does not save you and silo you. The gospel saves you rather and brings you into community. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now we're talking about spiritual baptism here. What takes place at the moment of your salvation. You're saved and you receive the Holy Spirit. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You don't need me to come lay hands on you to get that. That's a God thing, right? You are saved and you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We were all baptized, Paul says, at conversion into what? Into one body. And before you throw at me, well, that's church big C, not church little C. There is no church big C apart from church little C. The, the local church is the visible manifestation of the universal church. And if you're not part of the local church, then your claim to be part of the universal church is quite unfounded. Because as Paul's writing to, Philipp, to, to the Philippians, guess who he's writing to? The church at Philippi. When he's writing Colossians, guess who he's writing to? The church at Colossae. When he's writing to the Ephesians, guess who he's writing to? The church at Ephesus. We looked at the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus wrote to the church at Philadelphia, the church at Smyrna, the church at Sardis. He didn't write to all believers everywhere as part of the universal church. When we are saved, we are saved and brought into fellowship with one another. And that's realized through the local church. Jesus wants us to live this way because this is how we display the gospel. How we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. I can't love the people that are watching the same live stream as me because I don't know them. I'm not living life with them. I need to be with other Christians. And then you know what Jesus said right after this, right? He said, by this all people will know that you are my followers. If you love one another. That's why we got to move from attending to connecting. That's why that's an, a, a non-negotiable part of of community and membership here at Compass Bible Church is, is desiring this gospel-induced community, moving into connecting with one another. Here at Compass, the way that we do that, the way that we think that works best is through community groups. 
community groups. Community groups are, are these groups where you're connected with other Christians who will gather weekly in someone's home to discuss the sermon, yes, but also to pray together and to encourage each other. And it's a way for you to take a room, even a room like this. And this isn't massive, but still, you're not going to be able to have the, the intimate relationship of, of praying for and knowing prayer requests with everybody, even in a room this size, let alone as, as God grows us if he sees fit. So this is a way for you to kind of shrink the, the church family down to a group of 10 to 12 people that you know and they know you and you're living out this kind of gospel citizenship first and foremost with, with that group. You'll hear more about community groups as we go through the rest of our evening. But there's more to our motivation beyond just, okay, we want to have desired, we want to desire this gospel-induced community and, and because of the gospel we should live this out. There, there's more to it than that too. Uh, Matthew chapter 22. Turn to Matthew 22. I love it. It's up on the screen and you guys still went for your Bibles. Yes, it's working. Good. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Jesus is, is engaging with the Pharisees and the relig religious leaders of the Jews. And they're looking to trip him up however they might be able to. And so one of the experts in the law, one of the Pharisees, comes forward and we pick up in verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees about the question of the resurrection, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, an expert in the law, read there, not somebody who argues court cases, but this means somebody who is well acquainted with the Old Testament law. So he asks him the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, what's he trying to do here? He's trying to polarize the crowd when it comes to Jesus because he's looking for Jesus to give an answer like you shall not boil a goat in its mother's milk. That's an actual law, by the way, right? And it's one of those ones that goes, what, what, why, who, what does that even mean? No, but he's looking for Jesus to give some sort of specific law that then some are going to go, that's a great answer. But others are going to go, I don't like that answer. I think this is the better answer over here. And all of a sudden it's going to split the crowds and it's going to be easier for them to turn the crowds against Jesus. So that's what this lawyer is trying to do here. This is not a question that comes from an innocent mind. This is a question that's part of the scheming of the Pharisees to try to trap Jesus. But Jesus is not going to be trapped because Jesus answers perfectly as we would expect from the Son of God. And he says this. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He could have stopped right there. Done. He answered the question. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which was something that the Israelites would, would recite twice a day. It was the, the pinnacle of their commandment to love God with everything that you are. Your heart, your soul, your mind, the whole body was, was devoted to loving God. Right? That's, that's the point here. He could have stopped there and moved on, but he didn't. He went for extra credit and he said, and you want to know the second one? The second one is like it. And it's this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, on those two commandments, the entirety of the law of God suspends, hangs. Meaning every other commandment that there is can either fall into the category of loving God or loving others. And Jesus says, that's what we're after. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's the aim. That's the goal for our lives. And guess what, y'all? It's the same for us today. You want to know what God wants you to be doing right now? He wants you to love him with all that you are and to let that overflow and cascade into a love for other people. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
back in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had already preached on what that means. When he had said, you've heard it said you should love your neighbor. And Jesus said, I tell you, you need to love your, your enemy, those that persecute you. And so if, if he's already qualified that and he's, he's said to us, you know, part of what it looks like is to love our neighbors is even to love our enemies. Y'all, how much more so within the confines of the church should we be actively loving one another as ourselves? Jesus' message is clear here that a true love for God will inevitably produce a love for others. And that's why it's not enough for you just to be a Lego next to other Legos on Sunday morning. That you've got to go from that attending to that connecting. Because when we're attending, we may be attending going, I love God with everything that I am, and I love the worship, and I'm raising my hands, and I'm praising God, and I'm taking notes during the sermon, and I love God, I love you, God, with everything that I am. And yet if you're not transferring that, that, that vertical love to now a horizontal love for other people, God's looking at you going, you're, you're not doing it right. You're missing the point of your devotion to me. Because what Jesus is saying here is our devotion to God should overflow into a love for other people. Point number two tonight is this. We need to love God by loving our church. Love God by loving your church. Love God by loving your church. I, I, I'm a, a diehard Texas Rangers fan, so today was not a good day because the worst team in the world won, right? The bad guys that are forever bad guys down south in Houston can't even bring my name self to say the name of the city down there, but it's, it's down south. Anyways, I heard that. I heard somebody say the name over there. But here's, here's the thing. My loyalty is to the laundry, not the player. Here's what that means. If a player leaves the Rangers and goes to play for another team, I'm not cheering for them anymore. They left the laundry. They're over on another team. Josh Hamilton, a while back, you remember that whole saga? He went to the Angels, which I still think was brilliant on his part because he got the angels to just back up a dump load of money and they paid him a, a bunch of money and then he just did not do well for them. It was fantastic as a Rangers fan. And then he came back to us and he did decently for us until the rest of the story. But anyways, when, when Hamilton went to the angels, man, every bat, bat I was booing him. I was, I was booing him. But then when he came back to the Rangers every bat, I was cheering him. Why? Because I, I cheer for the laundry, not the player, right? It would be incongruent of me to say, I love the Rangers, and for me to boo a player wearing a Rangers jersey. Can't say that I've never done it. There's been some frustrations with some guys on the team. Still, right? It wouldn't make sense. You'd look at me and you'd say, you don't really like the Rangers. You're booing the, 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 the team. You can profess all day long that you love the Rangers, but when you're booing the team, or when you're disinterested in the team, you don't know anything about the players, you don't love the team. You're just empty with your words about how you love them. Guys, we need to be careful we're not doing that with God. I love God. I, I, I love the church. I love God. I love the church. I love God. Are you rooting for the, the, the people that love God with you? Are you cheering for his team, the church? Are you engaged with what's going on in the church? Are you connected to the church? Because if you're not, for you to sit back and say, God, I love you, and I I, man, I love the church, and you are totally disengaged from what he's doing right now during this dispensation, which has everything to do with the local church, then I got I to gotta call you out on that and say, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. We've got to go from that attending to that connecting because our love for God 
If we love God with all that we are, it has no other option but to overflow into a love for his people. In fact, John talks about this elsewhere in 1 John 4, 7 through 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John's just calling a spade a spade here. He's saying, you say you love God? Show it. Right? Elsewhere he says, look, we need to be careful. We can't say we love God if we hate our brother. Because how can you say you love God who you can't see if you don't even love your brother and sister who's right in front of you? He's saying it doesn't add up. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Y'all, love is that familial marker for the people of God. A love for one another. Jesus said it. By this people will know that you are my followers if you love one another. We look like the family of God when we love the family of God. We love God by loving our church. When you choose to get plugged into a community group, you're showing your love for God through your love for those other people in that group. When you choose to bring someone a meal, you are showing your love for God through your sacrificial love to someone who has a need in the church body. When you choose to to pray for someone in your community group, you are showing your love for God through your commitment to bring their request before Him. When you choose to have another family over for dinner and and welcome them into your home, you are showing your love for God through your pursuit of fellowship and friendship and hospitality with His people. And so the way that we connect with one another has more to do with just the, the fact that we're on a roster somewhere. It has everything to do with our devotion to God and building into those relationships. A disconnected Christian, y'all can't do any of that. A siloed saint can't do any of that. And that's not what God did for us. That was, that's, that's not what his purpose was for us. And John's words, if that's been our experience to this point, should ring frightening in our minds when he says, anyone who does not love doesn't know God. Again, here at CBC, the, the way that that is going to most tangibly work itself out for us is in the context of community groups. Attending and connecting, connecting in community groups. Because like I said, you don't have the bandwidth to love everybody in the church like this. And that's not the goal. But there should be a, a, a squad, there should be a team, there should be a family that you are connected with that you do love this way. And that's why we are going to push and encourage community groups here at Compass Bible Church is that next step after you're attending we begin to connect and and build our Legos together in the context of community groups. One more motivation for us, not just living as gospel citizens and and manifesting, showing our love for God, but there's a, a third motivation too that comes out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Another major reason why we have to move from attending to connecting is the basic reality, y'all, that we need each other. We need each other in this process of growing as Christians, of growing to be more like Jesus. 
You remember the, the movie Castaway, don't you? And I'm so disappointed because I, I ordered a, a Wilson volleyball that had the handprint on it, and it came, and I just left it at home. I just left it at home. Pastor Rod challenged me to dress up like Tom Hanks from Castaway, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But I had the, the you remember that, right? Hanks, he's, he's crashed. He's on an island. If you haven't seen the movie, it's been like 30 years or 20-something, so he's, he makes it. You're good. Don't worry. Don't stress out if, if that makes you afraid. But he finds a volleyball in a package because he's a FedEx delivery guy, and a package washes up on shore, and he fought, finds this Wilson volleyball, and it becomes his companion. You remember what I said earlier? That everybody has this innate desire for community? Man, the, the movie Castaway really reveals that to us. Because he's on this desert island by himself, and he has to turn to a, a volleyball and personify a volleyball to try to find community. You remember when God created Adam at, at the very outset, and everything was good. It was good, 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 it was good. It was very good he created Adam. You know the first thing God said it's not good about? He said the first thing it's not good about is that man should be alone. He said it is not good. And yeah, he created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. But y'all, I want to suggest that, that that expands to more than marriage. It is not good for, for us as human beings created in the image of God to try to live this life, and especially to try to live the Christian life, siloed from one another and not in community with each other. That is, a, is a something that is, it goes against God's design for us, what he desires for us. And so the author here in Hebrews uses language that stresses the need for each other. And, and he does so by calling us to intentional thoughtfulness about how to do this in our, each other's lives. Look at the text there. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another. This word stir up in the Greek, it's one of my favorites in the entire New Testament. You know why? Because it means to irritate. So you know what Paul is calling you to? He's calling you to be a sanctified irritant in the lives of everybody in the church. He's calling you to sanctifyingly annoy your brothers and sisters in Christ. You guys with siblings who grew up with siblings, you know what it was to be not sanctifyingly annoyed by your siblings, right? When they were there and they were prodding and poking you and you're like, will you just go away? Y'all, we need to be the pebble in the shoe to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the burr in the saddle to our brothers and sisters in Christ that stirs them up and pushes them towards Jesus more. That's what he's talking about here. And, and what does that require? Well, in, it requires intentional thought. That's why he says, consider how. Meaning, y'all, we should spend some time every week thinking about intentionally, man, how am I going to encourage somebody this week in the church? How can I help somebody be more like Jesus this week? How can I pray for somebody this week? How can I spur somebody on this week? How can I use my words? How can I use my gifts? How can I use my resources to encourage somebody this week that's going to cause them to love Jesus more because, man, I'm considering how I can stir them up towards love and good works. Doing this, y'all, is hard. It does not come easily. Connecting like this is, is not something that comes naturally. And that's why we go back to that first point that it has to be rooted in the gospel. We have to understand how Jesus has already loved us this much so that we will be motivated to love other people like this. So that we will be motivated to give some margin in our thought life to, man, I need to think about how I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ this week in the church. If we kick our Christianity into cruise control, that's not going to happen. 
the flesh is going to direct our, our thoughts to ourselves way more easily than it's going to direct our thoughts to other brothers and sisters in Christ. But y'all, let me challenge us this way. We need other people thinking about us this week that way, so we need to be thinking about them that way this week too. Our third point tonight is this. Realize your need for biblical connection. Realize your need for biblical connection. Yes, desire it. Yes, show your love for God through it. But then also, just at the very basic foundational level, man, we need this together. I imagine y'all have all, at some point in time, had the experience of a pebble in your shoe, yes? It's not a good experience, is it? Nobody's like, man, I wish I had a rock in my shoe right now. That'd be way more comfortable. Even when it's not painful, it's just, it's like, it's there and you can't stop thinking about it. That's somewhat what we're to be when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, when it comes to encouraging them to be more like Jesus. Right? When somebody sees you walking up to them on a Sunday morning in the future, you want them thinking, they're going to, man, they're going to ask me about how my walk with Christ is going. Oh, man, there's Steve. He's going to come up to me and say, hey, how's your time in the Word been this week? Or you want them thinking, oh, you know what? They're going to come up. They're gonna, I need to be thinking about what I need them praying for me about because they're going to come ask me, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? Be that type of person. That's what we're talking about. That's what this looks like here. And again, that's going to work itself out most tangibly through community groups. Yes, on Sunday mornings with the whole church, but, but really through this, this group that's going to be yours that you're going to say, man, I know these people and they know me. You're to stir one another up, it says, to love and good works. That love is, is agape love. It's the love the Father has for us. So we're stirring up a, a, a reciprocal love, both, yes, to others, but also to God. It's that second point there. We want to encourage people to love God and love others in how we are encouraging them and stirring them up. But it's not just love, but it's also good works. And I love this because that word good, it comes from the Greek word, which means beautiful. So you want to stir up your brothers and sisters in Christ to live a beautiful life in the eyes of God. Are you helping other Christians to look beautiful in God's eyes? My wife loves me enough to tell me that I can't grow a beard. She reminds me every time I try. She's like, you are, it's crossed the line, you look homeless. People are going to start giving you change when you walk down the street. Like, I have enough to, to keep the stubble, but I can't go past that. I envy, I have beard envy, I will admit it. But my wife loves me enough to get in my kitchen, so to speak, and say, hey, stop it. <laughs> I had a pastor once who used that phrase. Get in your kitchen. That's, that's what we're after here, right? Think about your kitchen at your home. You got the Orkin guy coming knock on your door, Right? You're not going to say, hey, why don't you come into my kitchen and let's sit down and have a cup of coffee together at the kitchen table. You're going to say, I'm good, thanks, and you're going to excuse yourself from the door, right? But man, you got, you got a friend, you got a family member that comes and knocks on your door, you're going to welcome them in, and eventually my guess is you're going to get to the kitchen. The kitchen's that place of intimacy in the home, isn't it, as far as just familial and, and platonic intimacy. Let me put it that way, right? You're going to hang out in the kitchen together. That's the center. That's the hub. That's the, the main thoroughfare of the home. You're going to enjoy a meal there together, and you're going to talk together, and you're going to encourage each other together, right? Listen, y'all, spiritually speaking, you need people in your kitchen, and you need to be in their kitchen. You need people that know you that well, that are there, that are, they've got, like Pastor Rod likes to say, refrigerator rights to your spiritual life. 
they can walk up to you at any point and open up the, the spiritual refrigerator and, and start poking around at how you're doing with your walk with Christ. And y'all, you need that in other people's lives. That's this level of connection that we're talking about in Hebrews 10. Stirring people up to love and good works. Helping people live a beautiful life in the eyes of God. God designed us to live in community together because we need it. Biblical community. This is some of biblical community just grabbing some verses and talking about what biblical community does for us here. Romans 12, 15, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Y'all, if you're just attending, you're never going to get there. Because you're not going to know that the mom sitting behind you just had a miscarriage. Or you're not going to know that the the gentleman on the front row had a cancer diagnosis come down this week. Or you're not going to know that the guy three rows back from you lost his job and doesn't know how he's going to pay for the, the food on his family's table next week. You can't live out Romans 12, 15 without connection. But how about we, we move on? Galatians 6, 1. That need for restoration. This is where Paul says, brothers, you who are spiritual, if you see any, anyone caught in a trespass, restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. We need that. That's that, that sanctifying irritant in somebody's life that says, hey man, you're doing this. I don't know that you should be doing this. This isn't in keeping with the word of God. I love you enough to call you out on this because I care about you being like Jesus. We need people to do that. That doesn't take place when you're just attending and sitting next to to people and we say, hey, make sure that you're you're saying hi to somebody at at church this week. Nobody's going to look at you and be like, hey, what were you looking at at the internet this week? You need that next level. Or how about we we keep going here, looking out for your interests. We talked about that in Philippians chapter 2. Man, you got to know what the interests are of your brothers and sisters in Christ if you're going to look out for their interests. That doesn't come through sitting next to somebody. That comes as our chairs begin to face inwards and we start to talk with each other and we get to know people. Or this last one, man, Paul says, brothers, I urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. That needs to take place within the connection of community there. And so... Is it biblical that we should be connecting together? Absolutely, it's biblical that we should be connecting together. And here at Compass, we believe, again, that that takes place most tangibly through community groups. And so here's the big reveal tonight. You ready for it? Here's your application. You're like, what do I need to do with this sermon? Here's what I want you to do with this sermon. If CBC NTX is your home, and I think you should make it your home, if it's your home, I want you to go, and I want you to go home tonight. I want you to pull up this page. This is our community group page. It's live on the website as of right now. And I want you to, to, to look through it, read about it. I want you to guys to start praying about community groups. And you can click on that button there at the bottom. And that's going to take you to this form over here on the right. And that's going to give you an opportunity to sign up for community groups. We're ready to launch community groups here at CBC and NTX. So we were going to wait until our, our official launch in August. We're, we're done with that now. This is too important for us to keep kicking the can down the road. We need this now. And so we are going to launch community groups in two weeks. Next week, we've got the, the, the STM team coming in at the end of the week. And then we've got Epic Challenge Camp. We're launch, we are masochists, so we're launching community groups same week as Epic Challenge Camp. We're just going to do it all. Let's just rip off the Band-Aid and be exhausted together, but let's be exhausted for Jesus together. And then we'll have a community to be exhausted with, right? Yes. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to put in your name, your email address, and then there's going to be a drop-down menu there, and you're going to be able to pick which group you'd like to attend. You're going to put that in there, and then we're going to ask you to give us two more groups just in case because we really want to make sure that, that one group doesn't have like 
everybody, and then another group houses like two people, right? So we may move some things. We'll do our best to put everybody where they want to be, but, but we may shake some things up a little bit. But they're going to be on different nights in different locations, so I know that's going to have a lot to do with people's schedules as well. But that's what we want you to do tonight. If you would do that for me, th that would be awesome. I would love to start getting these emails in that say, this person registered, this person registered, this person registered. And we've got six, no, seven groups to, to launch with, and then we, we hope to be able to expand pretty soon after we get this launch going. So um, do that. Get connected. Because, again, it's, it's, it's our need because this is not what God is calling us to. He's not calling us to be that, that singular siloed Lego. This is not fulfilling the creative purpose for why God redeemed us, why God saved us, why God caused us to be born again. And it's not just to do this either. It's not, again, it, maybe that solitary Lego is the person sitting at home that's live streaming church and is like, I'm doing church. This may be, you're, you're, you're attending, but you're still not, you're still not doing it right, right? Because this is not what the Lego intender wanted. He wanted them to be put together. And guys, if we do biblical community well, we're going to do something way cooler than this car up here. Way cooler. And way more valuable than even if that car was a real Bugatti. Community groups. Y'all, if we end up as a church packed to the brim with people and none of them are connected, I've failed massively. Because this church is not about me. It's not about a personality. It's about Christians connecting together, growing together in Christ. Yes, the sermon has something to do with it, but it's, it's that life-on-life -life growth together that is what we're really after here is the body of Christ. Attending, connecting, next week as we launch, appropriately enough, is we're going to need this like crazy starting next week. We're going to focus on serving next week. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this group. I thank you for this team that's here, gathered in this room. We're so thankful for it and this provision of this space that you've given to us. We just pray that you would continue to do great things through this church. I pray that you would continue to build this church and connect people together. And we pray that you do all these things for your good and your glory. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.